The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. There are a couple of things that are going to be happening. We shared with you last week, beginning Sunday, June 4th, uh, three things to remind you of. First of all, our children's ministry will be moving to the Creekside building. So everything in this building other than the auditorium is going to be remodeled. Everything outside these walls and back in that direction, everything's being redone, remodeled. And uh, children's ministries will continue over the course of the remodel, which will take uh, the rest of the year, actually, and hopefully be done by January so we can start that semester in new facilities. Secondly, on June 4th, the 8:15 service goes away until August the 20th. It's our summer schedule. And then we're going to start a new series on that day called Questions, and I'll explain that in a second. Right now, there are folks, and uh, if you'd like to journey over there and not listen to my sermon, I won't be insulted. You can go over there if you want to find out what's happening in children's ministry over the next several months, uh, volunteers or those with kids there, and we'll have multiple meetings to inform you uh, so you can stay tuned to what's happening there. So the series this summer is called Questions, and uh, we're going to be answering a number of questions that deal with our faith, uh, apologetics, if you will. Uh, How can a good God allow suffering? How can we trust the Bible? How can Christianity have credibility in the age of science? How can I discern the will of God in my life? How do I share my faith in today's culture? So here's what we're going to ask you to do. We're going to ask you to go to our website. You're going to see on our website 20 questions, and we're going to ask you to pick the top 10 you'd like to hear. And we're going to tally the votes that come in, and those are the 10 topics that we will address. So you go to our website, templebiblechurch.org. You'll find 20 questions there. Check off 10 of those that you'd like to hear us address. And then you'll find one blank, and it's going to be, uh, if I could have one question answered, it would be, and you can fill in that blank, and we'll see what happens with that as well and include that. So we have 10 weeks from June 4th till uh, mid-August, and that'll be our summer series as we address different uh, issues of our faith currently uh, in our culture, but also in the past. So go to our website, vote, and uh, you've got a week and a half to do that, and then we're going to move from there. Our series is uh, Hosea, the Relentless Love of God, and that's what we'll be looking at this morning. Hosea chapter 2, beginning in verse 13. Let's pray. Father, we're grateful to see your work in our body. We're, We're grateful to see that uh, many have trusted you, and some in recent days, some in in the past. And God, as we go and celebrate uh, new life in Christ through baptism, we we give you honor and glory. And as we look at all the different things you're doing in our body, we give you praise. And as we look at the different opportunities we have to impact our community, we say thank you. Now, would you take your word and use it uh, to change our hearts? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.
That video portrays the pain of a broken vow, the pain of a broken heart, the pain of a broken home, the pain of broken lives. It reflects the pain that the prophet Hosea was experiencing in his own home. The pain of being a man who was abandoned by his wife, who was out sharing herself with other men as he was left home with three kids to raise on his own. That video is a poignant reminder to many of you of the pain you've experienced in your own family, in your own marriage, in your own relationship, or maybe with a son or daughter. I can almost hear Gomer uh, rationalizing what she's doing as I've heard at my office many times. Hey, I'm just going out to find myself or I have a right to seek happiness or I have so much of life to experience because we married so young. And for those of you who have been the prodigal, it's a painful picture. And those of you who've lived with the prodigal, it's painful as well. That, that picture, that, that, that video portrays the pain you've experienced, the pain of adultery, the pain of unfaithfulness, the pain of rejection, the pain of abandonment, pain that ripped and tore the heart of the prophet asunder. It's a pain that uh, he, he couldn't do, the pain of that young man, the pain of Hosea the prophet. It's also the pain that our heavenly father experiences, pain that he experiences when his people Israel were unfaithful to him and played the harlot and rejected to him. And the same, experience, the same pain he experiences when we too are unfaithful to him and when we too play the harlot, when we spend days without talking to him in prayer, when we spend weeks without being in his word and worshiping him, or when we spend months or even years without serving or giving to him. It's the pain of the prodigal and the father knows it well. It's the pain of your prodigal life and my prodigal life. It's a pain that too many of us have experienced, too many of us have witnessed, and too many of us have been a part of. And I'll just remind you of the context of what we're studying. In the book of Hosea, Hosea's family is a picture of what's happening in the nation of Israel. When the heart of Hosea, the prophet, would be inflamed with the message from God, he would go out to prophesy, but his wife Gomer's heart grew cold and distant from him, and she went out to play. She went and offered herself to other men. She became a harlot, a prostitute, if you will a picture of what we saw in the video of the young lady that's represented there. And what we see is that uh, Gomer's or Hosea's family became an object lesson. It became an example of specifically what was happening within the nation of Israel. And just as Hosea's wife Gomer was unfaithful, Israel was unfaithful as well. And his family's a living object lesson of how Israel is treating God, actually cheating on God. <clears throat> and where we ended this last week was in chapter 2, verse 13. In 2.13, we read these words, and I will punish her for the days of the Baals, when she used to offer sacrifices to them and adorn herself with earrings and jewelry and follow her lovers so that she forgot me, declares the Lord. And so what God is saying in, in Hosea 2.13 is, I remember the day when my people, my bride, my nation turned themselves to follow after other gods, specifically the Baals, and, and had totally forgotten me. And then if you write in your Bible, circle the word therefore in verse 14, therefore. Therefore, looks back on what was previously said. It builds upon the previous context. For instance, if I said it's cold outside, therefore today I'm wearing a coat. Uh, first of all, it's not true, but you know I'm using it as an analogy. Or if I said it's rainy today, therefore I will bring an umbrella. Or if I say the Cowboys will never make it to the Super Bowl, therefore I'm a Patriots fan. But you expect it to follow logically, don't you? You expect a logical following of, the, of the, what was stated before. And so God has just said, I will punish you because of the time you spent honoring the Baals. I will punish you because you have forgotten me. 
But look at what it says in the context. Therefore, you would expect him to say, I will, I will make you desolate. Therefore, I will destroy you. Therefore, I will display my anger towards you. Therefore, I will display how you've cheated upon me. I will abuse you or something like that. But instead, what you see is the grace of God and the mercy of God. And what God says, therefore, I will allure you. I will bring you into the wilderness. I will speak kindly to you. I will give you vineyards from there. The valley of Achor will become a door of hope to you. And you will sing there as in the days of your youth, as in the day when you came up out of Egypt. And so what we see is the grace of God and the mercy of God. You see, the therefore you would expect, he says, I will punish you because you betrayed me, because you prostituted yourselves, because you've worshiped these other gods. Therefore, you would think he would say, I will destroy you or I will make you desolate. But he says, therefore, I will woo you back. Today, we're talking about the tender love of God. Last week was the tough love of God. Now we move to the tender love of God. And it's God wooing back his adulterous bride. In fact, in those two verses, what we see is a renewed hope. He's giving hope to the people. He's giving hope to his bride. He's saying, although you have deserted me, I've not deserted you. Although you've been unfaithful to me, I will be faithful to you. Although you have ditched our marriage, I will marry you. Although you have laid aside our home, I will make that home a place of hope. And so what we see is a renewed hope. Eugene Peterson is a pastor for many years and a scholar, and uh, he wrote a paraphrase. It's not a translation of the scriptures, but it's a modern-day paraphrase of the scriptures. And here's how he paraphrases these two verses. And now here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start all over again. I'm taking her back out into the wilderness where we had our first date, and I'll court her. I'll give her bouquets of roses, and I'll turn her heartbreak valley into acres of hope. She'll respond like she did as a young girl. Those days when she first came out of Egypt or was fresh out of Egypt. And so the, the, the teaching of these verses is that God is saying, although you have been unfaithful to me, therefore I will allure you back into myself. I will woo you back. <clears throat> I will treat you in a, in a manner of grace and mercy. And where you've expected some type of justice or punishment, God extends grace and mercy. The grace of God is totally outrageous. You see, where you would expect to find destruction and anger and bitterness, what you find is grace and mercy and love. And I, I love what he does in these verses. He, he, he's, he's describing the way that he's going to woo her back. First of all, he says, I'm going to be alone with you. I'm going to take you to the wilderness. Well, we know where the wilderness is. The wilderness is like West Texas, if you will. If you came to, Egypt, to Israel with us, it's not the wilderness filled with trees and forests. It, it is West Texas wilderness. And I'm going to take you to the wilderness. Well, in the mind of Israel, when they heard the wilderness, their mind would immediately go back to the time when they wandered in the wilderness. For 40 years after they were freed from Egyptian slavery, they went into the wilderness. And let me remind you why he would take you to the wilderness. Because in the wilderness, they had to depend upon him totally. Every meal they had, every sip of water they had, had to be provided for him every single day by him for 40 years. And so I'm going to take you into the wilderness where you have to depend upon me. I'm going to take you to the wilderness. Right now, in the time of Hosea, they're worshiping the Baals because they're surrounded by all these other nations and they have the opportunity to reach out to those nations, those gods. But I'm going to take you back to the wilderness. In the wilderness, you had no one but me. In the wilderness, you had no other gods to search for but me. In the wilderness, it was me and it was you. 
And so I'm going to take you back in the wilderness. In fact, he even refers fresh out of Egypt. So they would have in their minds that the Egyptian, the time of the first exodus, the first great exodus was the physical deliverance of the nation of Israel from the Egyptians into the promised land. The second great exodus is the spiritual exodus when Jesus came to earth, when he became a baby and then his folks took him. You remember when he fled from Herod? When Jesus fled from Herod, where did they take him? Remember where they take him? Egypt. And then he returns from Egypt. And then he comes in for the second great exodus, and that's the exodus that when we are freed from not Egyptian bondage, but from spiritual bondage. And what we find is our great God providing for us a great hope. And so what we see is God is wooing back his people because they have turned their backs upon him because they've chased after other gods. And by the way, if you're here today and there's distance between you and your spouse right now, following the way that God wooed his bride back is a great example for us as men and women. He got alone with her. That's called a date. Can you say that word with me? Date. Some of you have not known what that is in a very long time. Long time. When's the last time you took your, let me talk to the men. How many of you are married guys out there? Let me see your hand. When's the last time you took your wife on a date? Not with kids, not with grandkids, not with family, just you and her and nobody else. Can you remember that time? Can you remember? Nod at me. Most of you can't remember and you're not nodding. And the second thing he did, he says, not only that, but I'm going to take you back. He said, I'm going to take you back. If you look at this, he says, I'm going to take you back, not into the wilderness, but to to the days of our youth. Go back to the first days when you were together. How many of you remember your first date to your spouse? Remember that? Some of you have no idea. It's so far back in the recesses of your mind. I was like, geez. Remember our first date, babe? Blind date, LSU football game. She was blind. I was a date. I needed a date. I had a godly cousin who was leading the Bible study. I said, babe, I need, or I called, not, I said, Debbie, my cousin, I need a date. Uh, she said, I've got a godly, cute young gal. She's not dating anybody yet. I said, I'll take her. <laughs> and so we met, we went out. There were no sparks that day, but then we went a second time and it was, uh, man, sparks flew every place and uh, dated her for about a year. Then she ditched me for a few months. I'm still bitter about that. <laughs> She went fellowshipping is what she said she did. Yeah. I lost that battle, but I won the war. But he says, I'm gone back to the first place, the first place where all this happened. You remember that? Last October, we had a death in our family. We had to go back to Baton Rouge for the funeral. And as we went there, we had just our two adult kids with us. And so uh, we had to go through, we didn't have to, we decided, let's take them through the LSU campus and relive where we had been. And so we went on the LSU campus. This is the dorm that Bev, your mom lived in. This is the dorm that I lived in. This is where we used to make out at the lake. And they went, yuck. In fact, Bev was trying to park the, she was driving yesterday, tried to park the car at HEV. She said, I'm not a good parker. I said, baby, you've always been a great parker. It's just been. <laughs> but, but we went back there. We turned the radio on to 50s and 60s music. I started getting the hair out of my eyes, remembering that time. And we went back and I said, that's the BSU that we got married in. We went back and relived that time. It was a great time. Yeah, you've grown distant. One of the things you need to do is spend some time alone, go back and remember, hey, this is how I fell in love with you. This is how much. That's what God's doing. He's taking his people, his wayward bride, and he says, I'm going to take you into the wilderness and we're going to be restored. There's hope. There's hope. 
I, I want to give some of you hope. And you know, here's the other thing it says here. It, it says, uh, I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Now, if I were to ask you, what is the valley of Achor? Raise your hand if you got the answer. You're going to start hiding behind other heads because you don't want me to call on you. I mean, where's the valley of Achor? Well, if you said Israel, you're right. So that's the first thing. So the valley of Achor is interesting. We get it from Joshua chapter 7. The nation of Israel has just entered the promised land. They've defeated the first city that they've come into. They've marched around this city seven consecutive days. The walls came tumbling down. The name of that city is what? Jericho. Every kid knows that. I mean, it's when the walls of Jericho came. They had the thrill of victory. Jericho was about five acres wide. It was well fortified. They had soldiers, et cetera, et cetera. And now they were going to go to the next city, and it was a small town. It wasn't nearly as fortified, not as many people as Jericho. It's a city of AI. You spell it AI, so you've got that down. So it's a, it's a, it's a smaller place. It should be a place where they could go in and have victory pretty easily, especially after going against Jericho. But they go against AI, smaller, less fortified, fewer people, and they are, they, they, they are just routed. In fact, a number of people die. A number of Israelis die. And the reason it happens, the reason it happens is because of one man. His name is Achan. What happened is God said there's a ban. When you go in and you defeat these places, you're not to take any of the treasure there because that's treasures that I'm giving to you. And you're not supposed to have these things, the spoils of victory. But there's one guy named Achan, and Achan took the spoils of victory. And in Joshua chapter 7, it says this in verse 20. Achan said, I've sinned against the Lord God because of this thing I did. I saw the spoils. I coveted them. I took them, and I hid them. Listen to those four verbs, my friends. I saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid. That's the anatomy of sin right there. That's Joshua chapter 7, verse 21. Write it down. Take a look at it later. He says, Achan says, I saw, and what he saw was a beautiful mantle from Shinar, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold worth 50 shekels or 50 shekels in weight. He said, I saw, I coveted, I took, and I hid. That's the anatomy of sin right there. We see, we take, we, we, or we see, we covet, we take, and we hide. And that's what happened. And because of his sin, the nation was punished. And so God points him out, Joshua, it's, it's revealed to Joshua who this person is, it's Achan, and it, they, they took Achan, they took his, it says they took his, his silver, his gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, everything that belonged to him, and they stoned him and then burned them, the sin of Achan. And then listen to what it says, they raised over him, they raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day. Because it's a place where the wrath of God was, or the fierceness of his anger was revealed. Therefore, the name of that place has been called since that day, the Valley of Achor. Place of trouble. In fact, the Hebrew word Achor, guess what it means? Trouble. The Valley of Trouble. And so in Hosea chapter 2, he says, I'm going to take the Valley of Achor and make it a place of hope. I'm going to take the heartbreak valley and turn it into a place of hope. And what God is saying is the place where sin caused the defeat of the people and the people were in trouble and the people struggled and the people were defeated. He says, you remember that episode? What's going to happen is I'm going to take your sin, I'm going to take your defeat, and I'm going to bring hope out of that. I'm going to take your troubles and it's going to go, well, you're going to walk through a door of hope. I'm going to turn that place, that valley of Achor, that place of trouble into a door of hope. I'm going to take your troubles and you're going to have hope through those troubles. 
I wrote my note these words. Isn't it amazing what God can do? It's amazing what God can do. I love how he takes places of pain and places of trouble and turns them into places of hope. I, I look at Bev's life and see the abuse that she went through when she was a young lady, when she was a young girl, and he took that place of pain and trouble and turned it, and she walked through a door of hope through that. And I look at some of the ministries we have here at TBC. Water from the Rock. Water from the Rock is a ministry to women who struggle with infertility and how God has taken that place of pain and that place of trouble by bringing women who have had that same experience, that same difficulty, and they share life with one another, and that valley of trouble becomes a place of hope, a door of hope. And then we have another ministry called Grief Share where we, we have folks who've lost loved ones and, and we see that now as a door of hope because we have folks who've experienced that pain, that valley of trouble, and now it's become a door of hope and restoration. And we have another ministry called Call to Play. If you looked at the newspaper Sunday, you're not going to see the TBC name anywhere, but Call to Play is reaching out to marginalized kids at Meredith Dunbar and at Canyon Creek and also in Belton. And as we do that, our young people, our youth go there and they minister to them every single week throughout the year. Week after week after week, they go and minister to them during the school year. And it's a, it, they go to the valley of trouble and they open a door of hope. And there's a ministry called Embrace Grace. A lot of it, raise your hands, Embrace Grace ladies over there. A bunch of them are with us today and young ladies who are expecting young ladies with little ones coming and, and we're taking that, that valley of trouble and opening a door of hope for you today. And, and, we're, and we're taking it, we've got a class called Divorce Care where we take those who go through the valley of the trouble, the valley of trouble, they, they go through difficult times of divorce and, and we have those that have been and walked through that valley and we hope to turn that into a door of hope for you because of the pain you've been in. And perhaps the greatest place we do that is through our community groups, our small groups, where we live in community together. We do life together, and you, you bring your struggles, and you bring their valley of trouble to that small group, and they minister to you over time and over years, and, and you see healing take place because it's a door of hope. And, and what he's telling the nation of Israel, and I think what he's telling us uh, vicariously through that nation is, I will take your acor, your place of trouble, and I will make it a door of hope for you. And then we fast forward, we know the ultimate door of hope is our Savior. He himself says that in John chapter 10. Jesus said, truly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved. He will go in and out and find pasture. The ultimate door of hope is Jesus. And so when we see the door of hope in the valley of trouble, what we see is a Savior who offers us life so we can have restoration. And we see uh, the second great exodus is Christ giving his life so we can be freed from bondage, just like the Israelites were freed from bondage. We can be freed from the bondage of sin. Amen? And it's a beautiful picture of what God does. And so he says, I'm going to restore hope to you. Not only that, I'm going to restore your marriage. I'm going to restore the marriage we have between them after wooing his bride back, saying we're going to be alone in the wilderness and we're going to remember the first times we had together after doing all those things. He says, I'm going to renew our marriage. And I get that from verses 16 and 17. He says, it will come about on that day, declares the Lord, that you will call me Ishi and you will no longer call me Bali. Now, we don't know what those words mean. It's not part of the English language. The word Ishi means husband. The word Bali means master. He says, we're going to have a relationship and no longer is going to be, I'm your master, but I'm also now your husband. We're going to renew the covenant that we once made. In fact, he talks in that language. Look at verse 18. In that day, I will also make a covenant for them with the beasts of the field, the birds of the sky. Everything is going to be made new. 
And then he uses the words of marriage in verses 19 and 20. Three times he uses the word betrothed. If you write in your Bibles, circle it. We know that word because Mary was betrothed to Joseph. And he says here, I will betroth you for how long? Forever. He says, I will betroth you in righteousness, justice, loving kindness, compassion. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Three times, God has said, I'll make a covenant to you. That's the restoring of the marriage bond. Three times he says, you're going to be my bride all over again. I will betroth to you. Do you see what's happening, my friends? The nation of Israel has been a harlot. They've been prostituting themselves to other gods. And God's saying, hey, I want you to know we can have renewed hope. I'm going to bring you back to where we first started dating, where we first were. We're going to remember those things and we're going to spend time together and we're going to fall in love again. You're going to fall in love with me again. God's love has never been diminished. And not only that, but I'm going to remarry you. We're going to restore the covenant. We're going to be betrothed again. And it's going to be forever. And then not only does he give them renewed hope and a renewed marriage, then he goes a step further and renews their home. He renews their home. If you remember in chapter one, Jose and Goma had three children. The first one was a child named Jezreel. After that, the next two were probably not even Hosea's children. We looked at that last week, but it was Loruama, not pitied or having compassion, and Loami, not my people. And so we saw there were three children that were Hosea was caring for, two perhaps not his own, but their names were Jezreel, Loruama, no compassion, Loami, not my people. So look at what God does in the rest of this chapter. Verse 21, come about on that day, I will respond, says the Lord. I will respond to the heavens and they will respond to the earth and the earth will respond to the grain and new wine and to the oil and they will respond to whom? Jezreel. Everything is going to be made new with Jezreel. The first, the oldest child, is going to become a door of hope because Jezreel was also a place of defeat, but I'm going to renew Jezreel. And not only that, the second child was named not pitied or not having compassion. So look at what he says. I will sow her for myself in the land. I will also have what? Compassion on her who had not obtained compassion. I'm restoring your relationships within your home restoring our relationships with one another. Then look at the end of verse 23. And I will say to those who were not my people, you are what? What's it say? My people. Lo me, not my people. He looks at all three children and he says, hey, I want you to know not only is a marriage restored, but Jezreel, you're restored. Lo Rama, you're restored. Lo me, you're restored. The restoration of hope, the restoration of marriage, the restoration of a home. He takes broken things and he restores them. He takes broken lives and he heals them. He takes broken people and he gives them hope. When the prodigal son ran away from home, he ends up wallowing with the pigs And he realizes his father's servants have it better than him. So the prodigal comes home. And when the prodigal comes home, the scriptures say his father saw him coming at a distance. The father was looking for the son. And the son comes repenting. The son comes saying, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. His confession is a simple confession. But the father says, hey, bring out the fatted calf. Let's kill it. 
Give him my sandals. Give him my ring. This is my son. His name never came off the mailbox. His seat at the family table was never filled. He's never been taken out of the will. I've always been his father. He will always be mine. For some of you this morning, the restoration that needs to take place is a restoration with the Heavenly Father. You're distant from him and you're cold towards him. You're the person I've talked about days without praying, weeks without worshiping, years without, without serving and giving. And you are like the prodigal and come home today. For some of you, it's coming to him for the first time. The door of hope is Jesus. And Jesus says, if you walk through that door, you'll be saved. For some of you, it's a broken relationship that needs to be restored. It's a broken relationship with a son or a daughter, a broken relationship with a mom or a dad, a broken relationship with a husband or a wife. And restoration needs to take place. For some, it's, it's forgiveness that needs to take place. That divorce has taken place and somebody's remarried and there's no hope for restoration there, but forgiveness needs to be sought and forgiveness needs to be extended so that restoration can be right this way and this way. See, when I, when I, I, I love what this one author says about what God does. Our God is a God who not merely restores, but he takes our mistakes and our follies into his plan and he brings good out of them. We sing a song, he works all things together for his good, right out of Romans 8, 28. That's what we're talking about. He, he takes even our follies, our sins, our mistakes. This is part of the wonder of his gracious sovereignty. I will restore to you the years that the locust has eating. He is a God filled with grace who says, even if it's been broken, it can be restored. Some of you here today, and you're despairing. You are living in the valley of Achor, the valley of trouble, the valley of pain. It may be a relationship, it may be finances, it may be work, it may be someone in this body, it may be with me, I don't know. And, and you're despairing today. The valley of Achor, that valley can become your door of hope today. You can walk through that door and seek the forgiveness that Christ gives and either know Christ for the first time or be restored to him. That's the valley of hope. That's why Hosea says, I'll take the valley of Achor as though it would do our hope. I'll take your troubles and your pain and I'll provide you with hope for the future. And so I ask you, do you need to walk through that door today? Because God's door of hope is never closed. He's always in the business of restoration. We've got a lot of stories in our body of restoration. If you walk out for baptism with us after this, we're going to celebrate together. We're going to celebrate what Christ has done in the lives of 33 folks. And I've seen it many times in our body. I, I, I've done eight remarriages of folks who've been divorced and then got back together. I know that's not always possible, but sometimes it is. So I want to give you hope today. If you're despairing, I don't want you to walk out of here thinking I've got to take my life. I've got to lay aside the spiritual life. I've got to do this. I want to give you hope today. One of those couples is Bob and Connie Spiegel. So Bob and Connie, would you join me up here? Would you welcome Bob and Connie Spiegel up here this morning? A number of years ago, uh, Bob and Connie went through what uh, they have called, what we have called Bob's Wilderness Wanderings as well. It, it, was a time of, uh, it was a time of pain, time of hurt, time of struggle for you guys, for us, and uh, I'm sorry. And uh, as you guys went through that, uh, we walked through some of those days together. They shared their story 10 years ago. And uh, it's a story of how God can restore that which is broken. So we talked about God's tough love last week. 
And we started there in chapter 2, verse 13, how God uh, says, I'm going to punish you. And you went through a difficult time, Bob, through that, where you experienced a tough love of God. Do you want to share with our folks what was happening in your life? Just to be clear, Gary's being very gracious. Uh, We did not get divorced because I put the toothpaste in the wrong place. We got divorced because I was involved in sexual immorality. And the first thing, uh, through our divorce, of course, the first thing I lost was the love of my life, uh, my wife. Uh, The relationship with our children uh, was very strained, uh, to say the least. Uh, After a period of time, uh, because I was not, I wouldn't, couldn't stop uh, my uh, immorality, uh, Gary called me one day and says, hey, uh, we're going to exercise church discipline uh, against you. And the first thing I said was, I'm going to sue you if you do. That didn't uh, happen. And so... He wouldn't the, be up here if that happened, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and I, don't, I, I certainly don't mean to make light of any of this. Right. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so church discipline... Uh, one of my emotional needs is uh, uh, appreciation, and uh, as you can know, that the opposite of appreciation is rejection, and so uh, church discipline hit me very hard. Uh, my relationships with uh, family uh, was certainly uh, was certainly damaged. I ended up uh, going through about six months of depression. Ended up leaving my the company that Connie and I uh, owned together. Uh, so, a lot of shame uh, and uh, just a pretty, pretty tough time. So, God's tough love was there, but we saw God's tender love displayed to both of you guys in a great way. Uh, February 2003, we stood in your living room, and uh, actually before that, we celebrated together because God restored you to the body, and, but February 2003 restored you to one another. And uh, that was not easy. It was a difficult time, and uh, a time of great pain, but it was a time of great celebration. And for you, it was, uh, Connie, it was understanding God's tender love, how to love your wife, and how to continue the relationship. So share with our folks how that came about. Yeah, I can remember on a Sunday morning, I left church, and, you know, church kind of always stirs up that longing to be a family, and, and we weren't. We were divorced, I think, almost three years at that time. And it was like slow motion. I watched people pouring out of the church, and, you know, couples are holding hands. Um, kiddos are showing their parents their artwork from Sunday school class, and everybody's hurrying to their cars to go to lunch, and I've never felt more alone. And I made a decision that day. I thought, you know, this is my life. It's my family. He's my husband. And I knew he was a good man. I knew he just didn't, didn't know how to overcome what he was struggling with. And so I remembered that God met me when I was broken and sinful at age 25, and he restored me through his love. So I made a decision. I went home. I got back in the book of Hosea because Gary had encouraged me to do that from the very beginning so I wouldn't become bitter toward Bob and and others. And so I started reading um, again in Hosea, and I pondered what would it look like for Hosea to live today among us at TBC in Temple, Texas, would people pathologize him for wanting to go back to his wife and say he's codependent? Would they possibly say, you know what, I bet 
Gomer did what she did because of Hosea. Maybe he was too preachy. Maybe he was too critical of her. Mm. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to get all that. And so the shame overtook me, and I almost didn't make it through the next level. And I, I just said, you know what? I'm not going to worry what other people think about me. I'm going to do what God calls me to do. So Bob actually started wooing me back with a heart of uh, repentance uh, a heart of remorse, and I'd like to say that our path has been just this fairy tale, but it has been one of the messiest reunions you can imagine. Mm-hmm. We have spent lots of money on counseling. We've worn out people in the church. We've worn out friends and family, but I wouldn't trade what we have today. It's a sweet love. It's a tender love. But 14 years later, here they stand before you. Amen. <laughs> and so... So I remember those days you experienced a tender love of God and had to overcome a lot. And then, Bob, same thing happened to you. You, The tender love of a wife who accepted you in spite of that and the tender love of a God who wooed you to himself again. Share share that with us. It was was quite a a journey, to say the least. Uh, You know, in in the in-between, I knew the scripture uh, that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But I sure didn't see it. I sure couldn't see it. But then as time went on, uh, one, of the, one of the things that happened was that uh, Connie knew that uh, after repentance, some guys got with me, and that led to uh, a uh, sincere repentance uh, on my part. And Connie knew that, saw that. And she went to Gary and said, hey, Gary, uh, the purpose of church discipline uh, has been met. Uh, God has, or Bob has uh, repented, and I think he needs to be restored to the church. So that was the kind of the first thing that happened and uh, certainly was uh, was the grace of God working through her uh, without a doubt. Other things happened. Uh, God started restoring uh, a lot of things, uh, family, family. kids, my job uh, back at our company. And then uh, despite a lot of, uh, lot of comments uh, to the contrary, uh, Connie decided to, uh, to take a chance uh, and purchase me uh, off the auction block. And it was certainly God's grace and her strong values uh, of faith and, and family uh, that brought us back to that place. So the woman whose heart that I had broken so many times uh, was willing to take another chance on me. And soon, uh, soon after that, we, we started a process of reconciliation. Uh, and then uh, on uh, February the 7th, uh, 2003, Gary uh, remarried us uh, in our home. And you know what we've also seen since then? Wait, let's thank God for that. I mean, they came back together. And I I think a number of things encourage us as we hear that. One of the things our folks need to know is that since that time, yeah, it has been difficult, but now you guys are ministering to couples that go through the same thing you go through, have been through. Um, Connie has written about this, and also uh, she coaches women who are struggling with the same thing. So they've taken that core, that place of pain and trouble. They've walked through an open door of hope. And so if there's anything I want you to hear today and, and to, to walk away from is that God can take 
any pain you have and you can walk through that door because it's never ever closed. And here's a great example of what many of us thought would never happen actually. And God brought it back together. And I've seen that in some of your lives where you've been through painful, painful stuff. And yet you've turned that valley of trouble and pain and you've walked through a door of hope. And so if you're here today in the pain, in the valley, don't despair, don't give up, don't quit. There's hope that lies ahead for each of us. Amen? Amen. Do you thank my friends for being up here one more time? So they're going to... I'm, I'm going to pray, and after I pray, they'll be down here for you to thank, but also um, maybe you're struggling. They'd like to pray over you, and so they're going to do that. I'm going to scoot out. I've got like 120 people to baptize, so we're going to walk out there, and uh, so I'm going to pray. Why don't you guys go ahead down here, and you guys come and encourage them and love on them, and they'll be glad to pray with you also. Father, thank you. Thank you for taking us from the valley of trouble through the door of hope. Thank you for turning places of, uh, of pain and trouble into places of ministry. Thank you for so many testimonies in this body of how you've done that. And now, Father, as we go to celebrate, we thank you for Jesus, the one who's the way, the truth, and the life. In his name we pray, amen. Bless you.